Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens from my dining room. I don't know if it'll make it into the title, but this week is Disaffected Homestyle 2, The Homestyling. Why are we here in my gracious, <laughs> why are we here in my gracious drawing room? It's not a drawing room, it's a fucking dining room. Because Kevin forgot to change credit cards on our internet service provider down at the studio. So there's no internet down there. And um, so I have to do it here from home. So here you go. <laughs> Let's do it. First up this week, Leah Thomas, women's sports. Now, most of you have heard that Leah Thomas, whose actual name is William Thomas, because he's a man, has been competing on the women's uh, in a women's race in swimming. I don't actually know the title. It's it's probably has a, a competition name or something like that. Sorry, it just flies right out of my head whenever it comes to sports. This guy went from four hundred and twenty sixth as his ranking in the men's in men's collegiate swimming to number one in the nation overnight in the female category. <laughs> I talked about this on Friday's audio episode. So I'm hitting a few of the same points again. My thinking is evolving as, as, as the days go by. I saw, let's, let's put a picture up here of, of Leah Thomas having one. You see here, Leah all the way on the left and three women standing in front of the number three part of the podium. There were several pictures like this. And I saw a number of women, a lot of uh, feminist commentators on social media calling the, the actual women on the team brave, uh, calling them heroes. I'll give you my initial reaction and then my today reaction. My initial reaction was, this isn't bravery, it's cowardice. What you're seeing here is just simpering and posing in front of the camera, not bravery. Bravery would have been all of the women on this team getting ready, going to the edge of the pool, wherever the starting line is, letting the starting uh, pop gun go off or whatever it is they do now, and then turning around and refusing to get in the pool with a man who's over six feet tall. That would have been bravery. This isn't bravery, but I'm feeling just a smidge less harsh than I was when I talked about this on Friday. Somebody pointed out to me, it might even have been Kevin, um, pointed out to me that just the fact in this picture, that just the fact that the number two, the woman in the number two spot, who's actually in the number one spot, uh, moved over and refused to stand behind hers and went in solidarity in solidarity with the other women she is sending a message so it's a start it's actually progress because i think what needs to happen well i think a couple of things need to happen we need to remember what bravery actually is and we don't the uh, how to put it it's sort of like how people often say to me or about me that I'm very brave. It's a kindly meant sentiment. I appreciate it. But I don't think I should be seen as, as brave as people, as a lot of people seem to think that I am. And people like me, people who talk about things the way I do, people who tell the truth as, they, as, as best they can. I think people like us, look braver than we actually are because bravery has been defined downwards. Like the, like the way the word hero has been defined downwards. We call people heroes now for simply having survived an illness, right? Heroism is going out of your way above and beyond at risk to yourself to accomplish a greater goal, usually having to do with helping, uh, helping rescue other people who need it. That's heroism. Simply surviving isn't heroism. It's, um, well, today it's survivorship, isn't it? And that's a socially paid role too. Some other reactions I saw 
largely from women, were, that's too much to expect. They'll lose everything. They have scholarships. They'll be socially pressured. You, and then they're just kids. No, they're not. By definition, they're not just kids. These are women all at least 18 years old. That is in fact the legal age of majority. That's when you can vote. That's when men can be drafted. They're not kids. But, but yeah, I know. I know. We've talked about this before, repeatedly. That adolescence has been extended into one's 30s now. No. I'm not going to treat them as just kids. I'm not going to make that be the new normal. And I don't think you should either. You want to stay here? Is this the world you want? Keep saying they're just kids. Keep finding reasons to want to put your wings around them and pat them and tell them it's going to be okay. Keep us here. That's what you're doing. There was no bravery from them, no bravery from their parents, no bravery from their coaches. Everyone is just sitting around lying or being quiet while other people lie. So what I think needs to happen is I think we need more Leah Thomases stacked in every sport that women compete in. I think the whole thing needs to burn to the ground. Yes, I'm saying my desire is I want to see women's sports get torched completely. Mm -hmm. No, not because I hate women and want them not to be able to play sports because it is the only way that women are going to be shaken out of their agreeable torpor and stand up for themselves. Stop being little girls and be women. They're just kids is a little girl response. Stepping over here to the other side of the podium like this is what little girls do. That's not what women do. Self-possessed, capable adult women. So I think we need Leah Thomases, and I think this needs to be rubbed so hard in the faces of every woman who cares about this that she is infuriated and refuses to take it anymore. And I know what this is like because it's what happened to me with my mother. When I finally confronted it in 2016, the stupid mistakes that I made bringing my mother back into my life, financially entangling myself with her, were stupid mistakes, but they were mistakes that I needed to make because it put everything for me in jeopardy. It was the worst time of my life. It was worse than my heart attack. It was worse. Well, I don't know if it was worse than the child abuse. <laughs> it was almost as good, um, but it needed to happen. I, I had to be broken and it broke me. And that's when I stopped. And that's when my life changed. So we'll see what happens. But I say more Leah Thomases. Let's get it going. All right. This is related. And, it, and again, I also talked about this on the Friday episode of um, the audio only podcast. I hope you're listening to those, by the way, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the dates may change, but we're putting out three audio shows a week. And I mentioned Matt Walsh, conservative commentator Matt Walsh, who has uh, a daily show on the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's outfit. And Matt Walsh makes a lot of people angry, I think mainly because he doesn't lie and he says the word no. I know a lot of people will say oh, he's mean. No, he isn't. He's just not saccharine nice. He doesn't lie and say something is lovely when it's ugly. He doesn't lie and say that someone is a woman when they're a man. He acts the way men used to act normally before they all got feminized. Let's take a listen to about a minute and a half of a presentation he gave last week. We're supposed to abandon all at once the fundamental truth that all of us know and have always known. And we're supposed to do it for no other reason then it will hurt people's feelings if we don't. It'll hurt Leah Thomas's feelings. 
Of course, his feelings are the only feelings that matter, right, when it comes to the swimming issue. His feelings and the feelings of other trans people, I mean, those feelings, for some reason, are supposed to outweigh the feelings of women who don't want their sports destroyed and their privacy invaded and their very identities appropriated and stolen and cheapened and fetishized and turned into a Halloween costume. The feelings of a million women are dust when stacked up against the feelings of one gender-confused man. All of reality is dust. Biology, science, truth, all of it is supposed to be thrown out the window because of one trans person's feelings. Well, I say to that, no. That's what I say. And I urge everyone in this room to say no to this. Don't affirm what you know are lies. Everyone knows it's a lie. Don't cooperate with what you know is wrong. Don't abandon what you know is true. Don't pretend to believe what you don't believe. So it takes a lot of courage in this world, I think, to say no. It's a word that's not said nearly enough. A guy like Leah Thomas has never heard it in his life. Ever. No one's ever told him no. A lot of people haven't been told no, ever, in their lives. Clearly. No has become a dirty word. No is now seen as an aggression against other people. It's an aversion to people having boundaries and an aversion to having people to people having boundaries is always, always found in cluster B dynamics, cluster B relationship dynamics. Not everybody who has a problem with boundaries is fully personality disordered, but this is a core component of that. And it's a very modern notion. It was not a notion that the parents of my generation believed in. It's not a notion that my generation was taught either, Gen Xers, that no. Well, we certainly were taught that those of us were abused by our parents. We were taught that at home. But it wasn't a cultural idea that saying no to other people and having appropriate boundaries was an aggression against them, but it is now. Along with the idea that I I hear from parents who are worried about their gender confused kids, their kids who say, I wanna be trans or I'm the opposite sex. And when someone suggests, say no to them, say no, don't accommodate, don't accommodate the pronouns, don't accommodate the trans name, say no. People say, that'll just drive my daughter away. She'll hate me forever. Where did you come to believe that? I won't go on about that too long. You can listen to the show from Friday uh, for more of it. But it sounds to me like what a codependent abuse victim says, like what a battered wife says about her husband. Well, if I, you know, if I push back, he'll only be worse or, you know, he, he won't know that I love him. If I just demonstrate that I love him and I care about him enough, then he'll stop being mean to me or he'll stop hitting me. No. Until you learn to say no, my friends, listeners, hate listeners too, people are just going to keep hitting you. People like Arthur Kaplan, excuse me, America's most prominent bioethicist. We talked about Arthur Kaplan a couple of months ago. Let's take a look back on what he said then, and then we'll talk about what he's saying today. Creating a moral standard here and really judging, being willing to judge and say things out loud the question is, and I also get protecting the vulnerable. Kids under five can't get vaccinated. People who are older and maybe have medical conditions, even if they are vaccinated, are vulnerable. And I get acting in ways that make their lives safer. But by and large, if you're vaccinated and boosted, even if you get infected, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine here. It's the unvaccinated who are going to be hurt. So, so why should anyone who is boosted bother at this point to do anything that makes the unvaccinated more safe? Well, look, I want us to act as a community. I want us to act as a team. When you're fighting a war, you need all hands on deck. I don't want to reject those who still haven't done the right thing. I'll condemn them. I'll shame them. I'll blame them. But I don't want to exclude them. They've got to come around. We can't win this war. We're going to be talking about covid this time next year, if we don't get more people to do the right thing. So we can't write them off. We can penalize them more. We can say, you're going to pay more on your hospital bill if you weren't vaccinated. You can't get life insurance or disability insurance at affordable rates if you aren't vaccinated. Those companies should not 
treat us as equals in terms of what the financial burdens are that that disease imposes. So I can think of a number of ways in which we should say, Mm -hmm. here's the stick, get on board. At the same time, we do need everyone. It's a war. You got to have all your troops unified if we're ever going to win it. Yeah, it's still... By and large, it's the unvaccinated who aren't wearing masks. It's the unvaccinated who aren't social distancing. It's the unvaccinated. Here's the stick. (laughs) Very ethics, don't you think? Well, here's today. Take a look at Arthur Kaplan on Twitter. I wasn't able to read the entire story uh, because it was behind a paywall, but I don't need to, do I? Because I've listened to Arthur Kaplan before. And the uh, pull quote says it all. Pharma should stop doing business in Russia, says ethicist Arthur L. Kaplan, PhD. The Russian people need to be pinched not only by the loss of cheeseburgers and boutique coffee, but by products they use to maintain their well-being. War is cruel that way. Yep. So are tyrants. So are people without conscience. We have names for people like that. It's not usually bioethicist. Maybe it is. I don't see a demonstration of applied ethics here. I see sadism. This is sadism. Arthur Kaplan is demonstrating sadism. And he is called, he is called on by every major media and has been for decades. Every time there's a controversial case like the Karen Ann Quinlan case or the Terry Schiavo case where someone was in a persistent vegetative state or as lay people will often say brain dead or close to brain dead, he's called on to talk about the hard calls. You know, should we continue life support? Should we not? I certainly am having second thoughts about my prior position on that as well. Thanks to people exactly like and including Arthur Kaplan. We praise and admire and look up to and platform sadistic people. We see it in Arthur Kaplan. We see it in Lena Wen on CNN. We see it with... Who don't we see it with these days? A lot of it in public health. You know, we had a Zoom meeting earlier with the people who support the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, And they were talking about um, oh, I hate that. It went right out of my head. What were we talking about? (laughs) Ah, Yeah, public health. It's gratifying to me to see and talk with people who are now understanding what I have said. I'm not the only one who said this, but this disposition, this attitude that the people in public health and epidemiology ought to have policymaking control over our lives, I think really began with the anti-smoking crusade, which became an anti-smoker crusade very quickly. These people's personality styles are not surprising to me now. They make me angry, but they aren't surprising to me because I have not been under the illusion that people who work in public health are more moral for 30 years because I've watched them and I've read what they did to smokers. I read how they congratulated themselves for spoiling the social identity of smokers so that they are not listened to um, and that they are considered dirty and low class. They didn't, they didn't even apologize about it. They're just they're just right out there with it. These are people who want control. They're people who want sadistic control. Anyway, we're coming up on a break. Do me a favor. If you like the show, will you share us on social media? Um, if you're looking on Twitter, we're at DisaffectedP, and that's where all the show announcements and clips are put out. It's really easy to retweet. And if you don't want to do it on social media, privately share us with just one friend. Thanks. We'll see you when we come back. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. 
And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at disaffectedp, that's disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at disaffectedpod. Welcome back. Through the magic of television, I'm going to run and get somebody and come right back. There's somebody I'd like you to meet. Say hi, Shredder. Who's my big bear? Say hi to, hey, show him your face. <laughs> Kevin's in my ear, God, he's fat. He's less fat than he used to be. When we got him, he was 22 pounds. Mm. This is Shredder. And my earpiece is falling out. What's that, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, he's a big chonker. This is my big boy. We rescued him. And he's getting into old age and he's become very, very sweet and cuddly. Look what I can do. Um, see, that means he's ready to be done. But that whole holding on the shoulder thing, he asks for it. He gets up and goes like this. Okay. Lily may make an appearance later. So we're doing everything home style today. All right. So... COVID mania seems to be passing, but I don't think that that means our society has gotten any better. Also, as we were talking, um, viewers of the show on our Zoom meeting earlier, um, where I am, almost everybody has stopped wearing masks and it was like that overnight. Not exactly sure what did it, but I think being uh, concentrating on virtue signaling for Ukraine may have occupied the lobe in their brain that was concentrating on virtue signaling uh, through masks for COVID. Um, obviously, I'm happy to see this. When I went downtown yesterday, I was walking on Church Street, our pedestrian promenade, and I, I would estimate that fewer than 1% of people outdoors were wearing masks. It was a complete reversal. Uh, from the way it's been here for almost two years. Very, very few people wearing them. And then this morning, I went and got lunch from my favorite uh, 40s burger joint called Al's French Fries in South Burlington. And almost nobody in line or seated at the tables was wearing masks, except two little girls standing in line next to me with mommy bare-faced mommy with her masked daughters. There's going to be a group of people who will not let this go and don't want to let this go. And they're already telling us that they don't want to let this go because us not wearing masks is abusing them. Are you picking up a theme here? <laughs> so the people who made life hell for everybody for the past two years, by making them wear masks and convincing city councils and state governments to issue illegal edicts about the face apparel of American citizens do not want to give this up. And they want us to be nice to them. They want us to be understanding. They want us to be respectful of their feelings. Get fucked. No. Here's an example. Twitter from a medical doctor named Mike Hart. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? <laughs> so did I. 
I agree that mask mandates should be lifted, but please respect and don't judge people who continue to wear masks. They may be symptomatic or immunocompromised. This is fine as far as it goes. It certainly isn't the kookiest thing I've ever seen. But don't judge. Why? Why? What will happen if I judge? What do you mean, Dr. Mike? Are you asking me not to have thoughts? Are you asking me not to express those thoughts out loud? Or are you asking me something different? And that's a question I have for anybody who uses this construction, don't judge. What do you mean specifically? Yeah, you have to say what you mean. Don't judge doesn't mean anything. It's a signaling statement. And what, it's, what it signals is, I'm with it. I'm with the current ethos and the current social mores. I think that criticizing other people or judging them is bad, capital B, bad. It makes me a bad person and an unempathetic person. That's what don't judge means. Turn your brain off. People might be wearing masks because they're immunocompromised. Really? And what do they think the mask is going to do for them? Do I? Have to? Yes, I do. As a reminder, cloth masks don't work. They don't stop aerosolized viruses. Air gets in and out of the gaps all the time. There are people who are going to wear them forever who will claim they are immunocompromised. Yes, they will claim that. If they were so severely immunocompromised that being around other people was a problem for them, they wouldn't be out in public to begin with. And no, it's not my problem if they're that immunocompromised. No, I'm not going to wear a mask just to make the world safe for them. So no, I won't take that responsibility on either. And you shouldn't either. No one expected this before two years ago. No one. You didn't. <laughs> you, I know most of you listening and watching this agree with me. Some of you don't. That's fine. But if you're among those who don't agree, I want to remind you of this. You yourself did not expect this, did not think this was a reasonable ask even two years ago. It's still not. And we're going to get back to a reasonable world, I hope. I'm going to keep pushing. So no, no, I, I, I'm going to judge and I'm not going to wear masks for the immunocompromised. If you want to say, don't harass people, I'm with you. Don't harass people. Don't be like the people who screamed at other people in grocery stores and filmed it and put it on social media. Don't be like people who caused a ruckus on airplanes because somebody didn't mask up quickly enough or they weren't wearing the right kind of mask. That's harassment. That's actually humiliating people in public and possibly causing them to be ejected from a business. That is harassment. But you know what's not harassment? <clears throat> what I said today at Al's French Fries this is only the second time I've done this. I told you guys about the last time I did this when I was out with Kevin and we got ejected, um, well, sort of quasi ejected from two places because we weren't wearing masks. So I'm in Al's French fries. And the only customers who are wearing masks are those two little girls, but everybody behind the line, this is a fast food place with a line. There's a deep fryer. There's about eight or nine people working at any given time. They're all masked up. So as the guy was putting my stuff in a box for me, I said, who is it who's making you all wear masks? I said, I don't think it's the city. He says, it's the boss. And I said, okay. Is the boss a reasonable person? Is the boss the kind of man who will listen to customer feedback? So for example, if I were to send an email uh, suggesting that, that it's time to stop making employees do this, um, does he listen or does he just get angry? Well, he's, he might listen. And somebody else pipes up, another employee goes, yeah, yeah. And then the other employees are starting to turn and look at me and the customers are starting to turn and look at me. Um, I'm not yelling, but I've raised my voice loudly enough that anybody within a 15 to 20 foot radius can hear what I'm saying because I want them to hear what I'm saying. And I said, all of you back there, there's eight or nine of you, you're all being treated like servants. You're servants who should be um, not even seen 
or heard. There's no more mask mandate. Yet here you all have to have a gator on or a surgical mask and you're working in this really hot kitchen. And I don't think you, I don't think you should have to do it. And the one guy who's like, oh my God, I wish there was more customers like you. He's the one guy who's standing, the rest of them are kind of like, they don't really know what to say. And then the shift lead manager says, okay, okay, everybody back to work. And I said, Mm, I know, not a popular opinion. It's uncomfortable to have to hear that, isn't it? And I'm telling you, I was doing it for the one guy because they had the biggest grin on his face because I don't think anybody had ever stood up for him before, right? He's like, I don't want to wear them. I don't want to wear them. Some of the other people are like, I don't mind wearing them. He's like, yeah, well, I don't want to wear them. And I said, I know. And nobody will stick up for you um, because it isn't popular. So I'll be sending your boss an email tonight. Hope it does something. That's not harassment, but it was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever had a rash or a pimple? That's uncomfortable too. But you got over it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Another reaction here. Next one from a guy named Pray for Moses. He says, um, or visiting a sick loved one in the hospital who has battled COVID for 123 days and don't want to risk anything to get them sick. I've had some rude remarks for wearing my mask. My son has had some rude remarks at his workplace for wearing his mask, calling him a Biden believer. We <laughs> called him a Biden believer. <laughs> Grow up, grow up. <laughs> your son, your son's a grown man at a workplace and he's voluntarily wearing a mask. I hope people pants him and give him a wedgie. <laughs> and really what's going on here? You're wearing a mask because you're living, you're, you're visiting a loved one in the hospital who's been battling COVID for 123 days. For what? They already have COVID. Do you think you're going to re-COVID them? You know what else about hospitals? They're the best place to get sick. You have the highest chance of getting sick anywhere when you're in a freaking hospital. And you're going in there wearing a mask. I, I, I realize that they make you. I know the hospital does. But you, you, sir, clearly think that you're actually doing something and you do it voluntarily anyway. Drop my notes. It doesn't make any sense. This is automatic magical thinking. It's got to stop. And, you know, this whole calling him a Biden believer. I try to put myself in another person's shoes because I've been called a Trumper so many times because I won't wear a mask or I, I don't trust the CDC and I think they're a bunch of lying pricks. Uh, that makes me a Trumper. So what? So somebody called me a Trumper. So several dozen somebodies have called me a Trumper. So what? They're wrong. It's silly. They don't even know what they mean. But that's just the rough and tumble of life. Biden believer? Maybe the most namby-pamby insult I've ever heard. It could not get any more gentle than that. <laughs> Come on. Come on. People on that side of this issue, they didn't just want to be free to socially marginalize those of us who objected, they wanted to take our jobs away. They wanted us to be barred from grocery stores. In Canada, they wanted us to be barred from going anywhere, including a pharmacy of a certain square footage without a health warden escort to make sure that we only bought the things that we absolutely needed and nothing that we might actually like because they were only letting us go into the pharmacy on sufferance. That's what people on the other side wanted. And you want me now to be concerned about your feelings? Ask someone else who cares. And of course, 
the major media, including the New York Times, are all backtracking on a bunch of shit right now. The only the only way I can explain this is they must understand or they must fear that we've reached a critical mass and they're not going to be able to hide behind these lies anymore because I for sure don't believe that any honest um, desire to be truthful is animating any of this because that's not who these people are. Honest people don't work for places like the New York Times. Not anymore. Maybe never. So the New York Times is finally admitting where are my, oh no, they're not my borderline glasses. They're, they're my old uh, my old person glasses. The New York Times finally admitted the other day that the Hunter Biden laptop story that was broken by the New York Post prior to the election in 2020 is all true. Just as we all knew it was. This was the story about Hunter Biden's sexcapades with prostitutes and his crack pipes and all of his pornography and his standing around in a filthy jock strap with whores in hotel rooms. Real nice family, huh? The New York Post was suspect. The New York Post, the nation's oldest newspaper, was suspended from their entire Twitter account was suspended over that story before the election. It may not be government action, but that's election rigging by the media because Twitter's part of the media. Nobody else would report on it or they called it misinformation. And NPR said they weren't going to be distracted by a non-story. Of course, they were too busy masturbating over race and gender. Facebook disappeared posts about that story. It suspended people, gave them month-long timeouts for sharing the link to the New York Post story. And now the New York Times is very grudgingly admitting that COVID hysteria comes from where? The very liberal, of course. This came into my email box. <laughs> I almost blocked the New York Times' email address the other day because... <laughs> This is me trying to stay out of my own echo chamber. I, I have the free sign up. I get their morning roundup. And I forgot that I did that. And I was like, I don't want these people emailing me. I should go block them. No, wait, Josh. No, you need them to make fun of them on the show. <laughs> so the lead story was headlined this. Very liberal versus liberal. And it starts right out with loaded framing. Quote, the left-right divide over COVID-19 with blue America taking the virus more seriously than red America has never been the pandemic's only political divide. Each partisan tribe has also had its internal disagreements. I wanna note something about that. The loaded framing right from the start with liberals taking the virus more seriously than red America. No not taking it more seriously, going histrionic and hysterical. Yes, in the psychiatric sense, hysterical. Next quote, the key dividing line appears to be ideology. Americans who identify as quote, very liberal are much more worried about COVID than Americans who identify as somewhat liberal or liberal. Increasingly, the very liberal look like outliers on COVID. The merely liberal are sometimes closer to moderates than to the very liberal. And this is how it works. The most extreme voices rise to the top, even though they're a minority. And it looks like the very liberal in this survey constitute about 10% of the population. Tracks pretty well with what I've observed in terms of the percentage of really extreme people in any political movement, yeah, 10 to 15 to 20%, but that's enough to change the entire, it's, a, it's enough to change the entire rules of conversation, actually. That's how it works. Because although most people don't fit into this category, most people won't talk back. So when they're loud and nobody says anything to them, they look much more numerous than they are. The New York Times did a poll on how people, I was gonna say thought about COVID, but actually it's, it's how they feel. Not, not what they think, because they're not thinking. Quote, nearly 50% of very liberal Americans say that they believe COVID presents a, quote, great risk to their personal health. Other liberals, moderates, and conservatives tend to be less worried. So 
what, what does this look like? Let's take a look at their graphic. Question they asked, how much risk do you believe COVID poses to your health and well-being? And here's how it breaks down. Very, the very liberal set, 47% of them said that COVID poses a great risk. Those who are just liberal, 22%, slightly liberal, 18%, moderates, 27%, slightly conservative, 16%, conservative, 12%, very conservative, 21% said COVID was a great risk to their personal well-being. Notice the asymmetry here. We know that the opposite extremes on political polls can often turn around like a horseshoe. They call it horseshoe theory, and they end up looking like each other. But this is not symmetrical. If you take the very liberal and the very conservative being the extremes, the left and the right, 47% of the very liberal think COVID poses a great risk to their health and well-being. Less than half of the very conservative think that. Some of that is differences in ideology. People who are conservative generally tend to be less prone to things like hypochondria. Doesn't mean nobody gets it, but they are less prone to it. Um, notice also where we've seen this misperception before, this distorted sense of risk. We've seen it in race. This was a survey I'm going to show you in a second, conducted by the site skeptic.com. It was uh, conducted in early 2021. And the survey was asking people how many unarmed black men were killed by police in 2019. Take a look at this graphic. I know you won't be able to read all of it. I pulled out some salient statistics for you. So how many unarmed black men were killed by police in 2019? Very liberals, 31% of very liberals thought police killed about a thousand unarmed black men a year. 27% of just liberals thought that it was about 100 unarmed black men a year. The true answer is about 10, between 10 and 20, generally. So 31% of the very liberals thought 1,000 unarmed Black men were killed every year. And if you're looking for solace in the just liberals category, I'm afraid you will not find it because 27% of them thought it was about 100. Now, it sounds a lot less than 1,000, right? But it's still 10 times more than reality. <laughs> Notice that the farther right on the political spectrum a respondent is, the more accurately they pegged the answer to this question. Food for thought. Um, on children, the New York Times ran a similar set of questions. How much risk do you believe COVID poses to your children's health and well-being? Almost exactly the same on the very liberal. 48% of them think it poses a huge risk to their children's health. Children are statistically immune to COVID. Oh, did you know, I didn't have time to, to uh, tra uh, chase this down in more detail, but the CDC is revising their pediatric COVID numbers and removing a great number of them because of a what they call a coding error. Uh-huh. So even though, even though I thought that between five and 700 children died of COVID, even that wasn't true. Even that wasn't true. <laughs> Actually, there's so much more here, but we're running out of time. I'm just going to give you, um, I'm going to give you one more before we take this break. Here's the times. <laughs> Well, first they say, more than 60% of very liberal Americans believe that mask mandates should continue for the foreseeable future. Most moderates and conservatives see mandates as a temporary strategy that should end this year. Then the Times goes on to say, um, and Kevin, if you want to put this up, it's, it's uh, element number B11. Um, why does political ideology so strongly shape COVID beliefs? Donald Trump certainly plays a role. I'm going to cut in right there. Do you see? That has to be the first thing they say. It has to be about Donald Trump. This, this is a mental groove. It is actually carved in stone in their heads. They cannot get out of it. It's Donald Trump. As president, he made false statements downplaying COVID. Did he? You sure? 
Many Republican voters adopted his view, while many liberal Democrats went in the other direction. They came to equate any loosening of COVID restrictions with Trumpism, even after vaccines tamed the virus's worst effects. This is so many levels of wrong here. They're acting like Donald Trump was a Svengali who hypnotized people into believing that's the only reason conservatives and Republicans weren't worried about this. That is clearly not true. Believe it or not, times, conservatives know how to think. You liberals don't have the corner of the market on brains, to say the least. And even, you know, they, they, they are still lying. They're still lying, even after the vaccines tamed the virus's worst effects. Did it? Sure didn't stop transmission. <laughs> All right. We are coming up on a break. But I want to remind you again, will you, if you haven't, please subscribe to us on audio. You've got to go to your podcast app because it's not on YouTube. It's not on any video platform, but we're doing audio episodes three times a week. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Get us there, hit that subscribe and help us with the algorithm. See you on the other side. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom Hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at disaffectedp. That's disaffected and the letter P for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at Disaffected Pod. Welcome back. Now, I told you at the top of the show that we had internet problems, which is why we're doing this home style again. And I could lie to you and say, Kevin couldn't afford to pay the internet connection bill. And so that's why you should support it. Maybe I should have lied, actually. Everybody else does. You'd give me more money if I lie to you. <laughs> we would really, really love your support, though. It does cost money to do this. We've got studio space. We've got a lot of bills to pay. Uh, it would be nice to get paid for our time, too. And it helps us expand the show. It's helped us um, branch out into doing audio only. So look us up, if you please. If you like what you hear here, I think we give you something fairly unique. We're at patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. And I, I do want to say a special thank you to one of our devoted listeners who's been um, donating to us and watching from the beginning. He doesn't want his name read. I'm just going to call him Kay from Australia, but he just donated uh, very, very generously to us. And so I hope, Kay, that you are watching because I saw it and I appreciate it. I know your name um, and I'm awfully glad to have you on board. Thank you. So back to trans. <clears throat> I don't know if I should say it again, but I'm going to say it again. There's always a trans segment on the show because this show talks about psychological manipulation, particularly narcissism, histrionics, and the kinds of behaviors that you see in people who have cluster B personality disorders, borderline, histrionic, antisocial, which is psychopathy, and narcissism. They're not restricted to the fully personality disordered. And part of the show's thesis is that all of us, even those of us who are, have normal range personalities, whether you think I do or not, <laughs> all of us are more narcissistic than we used to be. All of us are engaging in and responding to more emotional manipulation than we used to be. Trans is ground zero. There is no bigger lie right now than men are women and women are men by self-declaration. That's why this exercises me. That's why I talk about it on every single show. It is the preeminent example 
of the thesis of this show. We talked last time about a trans woman, that is a man, living in the Ukraine who was worried about getting out of the country because Ukraine won't let trans women change their se gender, sex, gender, sex on their identifying documents. Um, one thing I didn't understand, a lot of you pointed this out to me and thank you. Um, I didn't understand when I recorded that, maybe it was the show before, that Ukraine was not allowing males between, I think, 18 and 60 to leave. So I did not understand that that was operative when I made that commentary. I might have said something different. But that just brings up other questions. So this guy who calls himself a woman and is telling his sob story to CBS News about how he, you know, he can't leave because he can't change his gender markers. Now the question becomes, why are you making that choice? Why aren't you fighting like the other men? Why are you exempt from that? And I'm, I'm not making a statement here on conscription. I'm not, I'm not making a statement about it, positive or negative. But I am saying, if you have conscription and it's for males, doesn't that bring up other ethical questions? What about you, aside from the fact that you're effeminate, means that you get to get out of defending your country? No matter which way you slice this, it brings up uncomfortable questions. Because the guy's basically pulling a clinger from the old show MASH. You know, the guy who wanted to get out of the war by claiming to be insane by dressing up as a woman. <laughs> canceled. I'm surprised MASH even runs in syndication or reruns, and I'm sure it does, uh, because every episode is cancelable just because of that. Well, now we've got it in the other direction. This week, this is from the publication Insider, um, and we'll put up the, uh, the headline here. How a transgender Ukrainian man escaped Russia's invasion. Quote, I painted my nails violet and wore a mom's shirt to look more girly. <laughs> Let's dive right in. Quote, glasses. Andre, not his real name, thought the major change in his life would be his gender transition from female to male. But when the Russian bombs started falling on Kiev, Ukraine, he was forced to embark on another journey from a citizen of Ukraine to a war refugee. Quote, I had a nice job, goals, plans, apartment, but I just can't think about Kiev under Russia or Putin as our president, he said. I didn't know how I could stay in Kiev during the war. We haven't been living. We were surviving, always hiding, checking the news, hearing sirens. So this man, Andre, don't other men have a nice job and goals? Don't other men have an apartment? And aren't you a man, Andre? So why not man up and fight? Why not? You're a man, right? We have to call you he, right? We have to pretend we can't even tell that you're a woman, right? You wanna be a man? Then take on a man's responsibilities. Quote, but as a transgender man, a man assigned female at birth, such bullshit, different questions raced through his mind about leaving his homeland. Andre is a pseudonym used to protect his identity. So this chick wanted to flee with her mother, but she says, quote, how do I show my passport as a man with a female passport? Will they let me through the border as a man? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to this. <laughs> it's simply an inversion of the trans woman from last week. But he did escape. And how did he do it? Reverse trans clinger powers activate. Form of lady. <laughs> Quote. We decided I had to whisper so that nobody would notice my deep voice, Andre said. Oh, do you mean your testosterone froggy voice? 
I even painted my nails violet and wore mom's shirt to look more girly. (laughs) (laughs) Then he got in touch with trans activist, you may recognize this name, Rain Dove. (laughs) Rain Dove Dubaluski, who's doing some sort of kinder trans transport out of Ukraine. Here's Rain Dove, quote, If the border force saw him as a man, he would have to stay in Ukraine and not care for his mother, Dubaluski said. It was very painful for him to dress up as a woman, wear his mother's makeup, but it would have been more painful to leave her in a foreign country to start her life over. Dr. Freud, where are you? (laughs) Do you know what's more painful than wearing your mother's makeup? (laughs) Getting blown up by a bomb. I'm sorry. This is so fucking stupid. <laughs> hmm. The whole thing just goes on and on. And it's, it's, there's all this drama about sleepless nights and hiding out under bridges, being on the lamb. It was like an old, um, God, what did it remind me of? It was like an old film noir slash women's picture story, but it, it, it reminded me of a famous female impersonator. I was it? No, it wasn't Charles Bush. I'm sorry. I'm getting the guy's name wrong. He had, he had an act during the mid 20th century, I think late fifties through, um, through the early eighties. This was when drag Queens actually were female impersonators. They, their shtick was doing the best possible impersonation they could of a famous woman. And this, this guy did them all. He did Mae West. He did Joan Crawford. And he had this hysterical bit doing Betty Davis from one of her worst pictures um, Juarez, that's the line where what a dump comes from. And he would do, it was, it was a serious melodrama and he would do this thing impersonating Betty Davis going, I crawled along the railroad tracks with peritonitis. Because <laughs> all of this, all of this this is just the plot of Victor Victoria. Kevin, do we have a picture? We do. This is Julie Andrews in the, what was it, 1980 or 1981 uh, movie, Victor Victoria, which also became a stage show. Here's the plot of Victor Victoria. If It's a fantastic movie. You guys have to watch. You know what? Maybe, maybe we'll watch Victor Victoria for one of our Zoom hangouts. Would you like that? I'm like waiting for you to answer, but you're not going to, you can't. Um, So it's Julie Andrews and Robert Preston and it's pre-war Europe. And Julie Andrews is down on her luck and she needs some way to make money. So she decides, she gets with Robert Preston, who's a a musical homo. (laughs) And they decide they're going to do a touring act. And Julie Andrews is going to pretend to be a man who is pretending to be a woman. So he's going to, she's going to be a drag queen. And it's, it's a sex role swap farce. It's very, very funny. And all of the performances are hysterical. Leslie Ann Warren as the gangster mole is, is sublime. Uh, you just, you really need to watch the movie. Just like, oh, pow, 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 pow. Never mind. If you haven't seen it, this isn't going to make any sense to you. Um, but the finale of, of, so they go right, they tour Europe, right? And she does all these um, musical performances in, in high female drag. And the finale at the end of her show is that she pulls off her wig. And somehow this reveals that she's actually a woman, not a man pretending to be a woman. And <laughs> Oh, baby, won't you play me the jazz? Maybe and don't ever let it end. (laughs) And I'm going to leave you with a stunning and brave sign off this week. I will join Susan Rice in congratulating a truly great lady, Miss Rachel Levine. Let's put this up on the screen. Susan Rice says, congratulations to the trailblazing Admiral Rachel Levine on being named one of USA Today's 
Women of the Year. Your leadership during this pandemic has been vital. Isn't she a beautiful lady, folks? <laughs> Thanks for joining me in my home. I'll see you next week. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell.